So the order of the questions, I wanted to see if you guys got it. Where, where do we want to begin when we're beginning to form our people? What's the first question? Who's God? What next? What has he done? And in particular, in the person and work of Jesus. Next? Who are we? And then last? What do we do? Okay? So that's what we're going to be... That hopefully you're seeing that we're, we're now in that quadrant of all of our questions. What do we do in light of who we are? In light of what he's done? In light of who he is? And um, I would just... See, the, the, the thing I want to I just... I want to urge you to think through... I want, to, I want to just exhort you to ask, what we've given our people, what we've trained them in, is it transferable, reproducible, and sustainable? Is it transferable, reproducible, sustainable? Transferable meaning that, that they could do this in another context, another culture. If they were to be sent out of your local church to another part of the world, would they be equipped and ready? Or would they have to be in Southern California with a lot of resource, you know, all that, to be able to be church? So is it transferable? Is it reproducible? Can more than just you do it? Like, can you teach in such a way that anybody could do this? Because it's meant to be, the, 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 as it were, the religion of the people. It's supposed to be the, the priesthood of the saints. Like, everyone is supposed to be able to do this. So transferable, reproducible, and sustainable. Can it... Could it exist by itself someday where it doesn't need a whole lot of outside resources continually poured into it? Okay? Um, so those would be questions to think through um, whenever you think about what are, we, what are we training people to do. Now, where do we begin? How do we begin to form mission communities that are a family of missionary servants sent as disciples who make disciples that aren't primarily a Bible study, a support group, a weekly meeting, a social activism group and affinity group. How do we how do we do this? And I would say first of all, hopefully it's apparent. Get if you well let me back up. Make sure you have someone who actually can lead. Okay, I I, I don't in my notes I don't actually have that, but I want to say that. Um, whenever whenever I send someone out to start a mission community, I have several test points. Um, and I, I, this is how I kind of test it. I'll I'll say Okay, this, this couple has expressed interest in going to reach this new people group in our city. And we'd like to send them out, but we want to um, give them a few weeks to meet with you and cast the vision and see if any of you want to join them. And then after several weeks, I'll sit down and say, okay, this is the week, God willing, that they may be leaving. So um, if you want to join them, they're going to go into the other room, and I want you to go join them right now. And they're going to talk to you about what they're going to do. And they're going to start to form their new missional community covenant together. And uh, help, you're going to help plan how you're going to reach that people together for the rest of the night. And if they get up and go and no one goes, then I know they're not ready. Because they haven't convinced anybody to follow them. And if they don't have the character and the, the sense of clarity on calling and the people group and the ability to call people to it. And I'm just going to send them all by themselves and no one's going to join them, then we're in trouble. But if they had like the last month to convince a few people to join them and a few people go with them and I obviously wouldn't give them even the green light to have make that statement if I didn't think they had something. Then if they got some people go in the other room and go, let's do it. Then probably they've got some ability to lead some people. Okay? Now they may not have a high capacity, might be a low capacity, I don't know. As long as they're not all unhealthy people just going like, it's a faction. You have to watch out for that. But So let me at least say that. Make sure you have some people who can lead and that they lead with a team. But there's some people that would join them and they go out together to a people group. 
So that, that's, that's going to be required. And um, so I'm usually looking at are there some people with the character and the calling and do they have clarity of vision and purpose in terms of who they're trying to reach. If they can't articulate a people that they're called to reach, then they probably aren't ready to lead a missional community yet. At least that's for me. That's how I do it. Um, now you might go, yeah, we got a bunch of groups who want to transition to missional communities. Well, then you might have to do a little bit more work of like training them and teach them how to discern who God might be calling them to and how they're going to go reach those people. And, but I always, t- I, always tell new, I always tell groups that are going to transition to get on mission, when I sit down and they say, we don't know what the mission should be, I go, okay, is there, is there anybody, like who's the leader? You're the leader, okay. Do you have a people group you, want to, you feel called to reach? Yeah, that's the mission. Because leaders are supposed to call people to something. And a lot of times in groups we're like, we just want to let everybody say what it is. And then what it means is you won't do anything. You know, and Jesus goes, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And what does Jesus do? He says, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel, and I'm heading to Jerusalem. So all those disciples go with them. They're going on mission with Jesus. Now what is he doing? He's training them to be fishers of men on his mission. So that at the end of three years, they can go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. So if i got a group of people going like, yeah, but i got this, you know, here's what will often happen. We've got a group of people, and they want to be a mission community, and you got a couple leaders... You know, these are leaders. Maybe there's three or four leaders. And they're all going, we're called to this people group. But you got other people going, but I feel called to this and this and this and this. And what I say in those situations is, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We're going here. This is going to be the people group we're trying to reach. Join me in this. And then when you're ready to be sent out to go reach the people you feel called to reach, we'll send you out. If they go, well, we're already ready, then I go, okay, great. Let's assess you and see how your character is and your competencies and your, your, you know, your sense of uh, calling and, and let's see if you can get some people to join you. And if this is your mission and a bunch of people will join you and you're ready, then let's just get you out of here and send you on that mission. I don't want to have you keep staying here when you don't really want to be on mission to this people group. But usually what happens is they're like, I don't have a clue what to do. I've never seen it done. I've never made a disciple in my life. I feel called to those people, but I wouldn't know where to begin. It's like, well, are you will, do you care enough about that mission field to get trained for a year to go reach them well? Because it's just, maybe it's only a year. But for a year, are you willing? I mean, people go to Bible college for four years or seminary for, you know, after that. And it's like to get ready for the ministry. It's like, would you give a year of your life to get equipped to be effective to reach that people group? And if they really care about that people group, they will. But if it's just like, I don't really want to go on yours... Which a lot of times that's what it is. Like the truth is, I don't really want to reach anybody, but this is a really good distraction for me to tell you that I'm not. I want to not be on this mission. So I usually get to call their bluff that way. If it's if it's a bluff, hopefully it's not. Um, but so that's get a, get a, get some leaders that are. That you, some of you will have to train them. You might go, where do we begin? I don't know where to train them. So I'm going to talk about next. Um, but um, and make sure they have a people group. Now you, you might go like, well, how do I know they've got a people group? Here's how I usually can tell if someone's got a people group. They can articulate how the rhythms of their week would change to reach those people. They, they can articulate how the rhythms of their week would change to reach those people. So it'd be like, we'd start have to hang out here and eat there and readjust that for this. Now the beauty is, in some cases, people are already in the middle of the mission field and the rhythms of the people group. And all you got to do is get them to be intentional. Like if I get a bunch of parents who go, man, I just can't do this. I mean, I'm, we're so busy with soccer. Our kids are in soccer. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, games on Saturday. We're traveling on weekends sometimes, a couple times a month. I'm like, bingo! There's your mission field. You're already in the rhythm of the life of all those people. Would you like to make disciples of those people? Would you like to lead them to Christ and disciple them up? And if they go, no, then I go, then you're just outright disobedient. I mean, you, you fundamentally do not want to be Jesus' missionary people right now. But if, because it's not a matter of changing their rhythms. They're already doing all that. It's a matter of being intentional for Jesus in those places. And so a lot of times I just have to help them see that that could be mission. And they don't have to really change the patterns of their life. They just have to change the intentionality of their heart in those activities. And that's what it, one thing I do love, by the way, about this approach to being God's people on mission is that instead of me calling them out to go to lots of activities at our buildings, we're already validating that they're on mission in all of life and we're training them for that. That's really freeing for God's people. If we, see, if we do call them out, it's to equip them, not to, to, to pull them out of mission. Okay? So make sure there's some leadership. Make there's a team. I would say make sure you're wise about like, not like everybody on the team being alike. You know, like they're all Bible teachers. And all you got is like, everybody wants to teach the Bible every week and you're fighting on who teaches. Like you might want to go, hey, do anybody like, like people here? Like I need some people who like people. You know, and then, so I like the Bible and I like to teach. And man, you're really good at structure and planning. Maybe we'd be a good team together. And so you think about, you need some people people. You need some Bible people. You need some structure planning people. That's a great mix to put together to start a community on mission, okay? So think about that. Then begin to build on the foundation of the gospel. You've heard me over and over again referring to Jesus and his work, and, and I, I'm, I'm letting it slip through almost everything I'm doing. I'm intentionally doing that. Um, we call it gospel fluency, where you're just learning how to speak the gospel to all of life. And you know how, what's the, what's the question? The gospel's the answer. What's the problem? The gospel's the solution. And just knowing how to do that. Now, that takes some time. Let me give you a, I, I'm in a situation right now where my mission of community was just horrible for a year. Like I was teaching a few months ago, and like I was talking about how it just wasn't going well, and things were just hard, and no one seemed to be on mission, and, and people came up to me and were like, that was awesome, man. I just love you talking about how bad you are at leading missional communities. And like, Thanks a lot. Glad that I could serve you with my brokenness, you know. And, um, but what they were actually encouraged by is that they, that's the real experience. If you've done this, you have times where it doesn't go well, and things aren't always easy, and... And like, like my friend over here likes to say, it's all, it's all a rehearsal anyway, right? We're just kind of like, oh, dress rehearsal. Okay, that was not so good. Let's try it again. And you're all learning. You're all growing. You're all failing. That's okay. That's, that's part of the growth that we're all going through. But I had a group that was not, I mean, honestly, it was like my wife and I were going like, we feel like we just became a restaurant. People are just showing up to eat a meal and then leaving. And she and I, I mean, my wife and I are both the kind of people who are like, we won't put up with Christians for too long that just do that. Like just, I mean, we're just like, we're here to reach the lost and disciple up people. Christians, we love, we love Christians. We just don't love people to remain consumers. We want them to grow in Jesus' work. And so we, I, I went through a process. I'll give this to you because some of you might have to go through the same thing. I went through six-week process. Like I just laid out, I said, okay, this is, I, we, for four weeks I taught on each uh, kind of a key thing that I was calling them all to be a part of. And I told them at the beginning, and when we first started Soma, I trained on what it means to be the church, and I looked at what Jesus is all about, and, and I called people to join us, and we did it for three months. At the end of three months, I said, who wants to be in now that you've experienced what we're about? I've taught you, I've called you to experience it, I've called you to obedience. You, you have a good sense of what we're going to be as a church. Who wants to stay? And I kind of drew the line and said, we're going to stop for a few weeks, and then when we're back, whoever comes will 
go forward. And I kind of formalized my core and then moved forward and planted a church. So I told my group this last fall, I said, we're doing the same thing again, but we're doing it with the missional community. So I'm going to walk you through what does it mean to be a missional community? What are we committed to? Who's the mission, the people that we're going to reach? And at the end of four weeks, I'm going to give all you the opportunity to make a decision to leave or to re-engage and be serious about our mission. And then we'll take two weeks. We won't even, we won't gather at all formally, but we'll all be available. And if you want to talk to me about it and, you know, push in and say, hey, I'd like to be a part of this, but I'm concerned about that, whatever, you'll have two weeks to do that. But if I don't hear from you in those two weeks, I'm going to assume that you are now moving on. And then there were just, a, and I, I, I knew there were some people that I really needed to move on for the sake of our mission. And I just said, and I didn't try to kick them out, but after that I called them and said, are you going to be a part of it or not? And I said, no, just don't feel called to this. And another one said, I think I might be moving on to another church and all that. And I said, okay, I just want to make sure you're cared for and that you find a place. And I don't want you to feel discarded at all. That's not my desire, but we are going to go on this mission. And this is who we're going to reach. And uh, it was great because we got to clarify, are you committed to this? And I had unbelievers that were part of the missional community too. They were like, we don't have to go, do we? Like, no, no, you're, you're, you can stay. Like, you, you, in some ways, you're kind of the mission, just so we're clear. Like, like, we talked about that. You know, like, we want you to love Jesus. I know you don't yet, but that's, you, you can stay as long as you want. But we don't want people who say they love Jesus but don't want to be on Jesus' mission to continue to be in this group if they're unwilling to be a part of Jesus' work, especially in this place. If they want to be a part of another place, there might be a better church for them. And so it was funny because the people who stayed, like, the non-believers were more engaged. Some of them were like, Man, what do we got? How do we get involved? We want to stay a part of this. Like, and I'm like, just relax. You know, like, it's okay. And and so, but at the end, we we knew who it was. And it was amazing because the first week we got back together for our family meal, it was like they were all leaning in. You know, they're like, okay, what are we gonna do? And they were just excited and they're energized. And so the first week, all I did is I said, okay, um, I'm gonna have Janie cast vision, my wife, uh, for who we're trying to reach because we're going after Grant elementary and the families, teachers, and students there as well as the neighborhood around it. And my wife loves those people. So like she's way better at casting the vision than I am at that. So I'm like, babe, tell them about it. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. She's just like casting the vision. Here's what we're going to reach. And how are we going to reach them? Here's what we're going to do on Fridays and Saturdays. And she's laying it all out. I'm like, what do you guys think? And they're like, yeah! And they were just pumped. And I'm like, what just happened to our group? We only lost like one family and one individual. It didn't change that much. But it was like a re-energizing, calling them to, to commit. And um, so I said, the next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you of the gospel. So we went through the gospel together. And then I asked them to speak it back, okay? We have been saved from the penalty of sin. How do we know that? Well, look at the cross. We are being saved from the, the power of sin. Well, how do we know that? Look at the resurrection, the power of the Spirit in our lives. We will be saved. We will be saved. There's a future hope. That's, our salvation is kept in heaven for us, secure, unfading, undefiled, 1 Peter 3. So we went through, we have been saved, we, will, we are being saved, we will be saved. The past, present, future hope of salvation in the gospel. And so we walked through that. Okay, that's right, let's rehearse that. Let's say it again, let's remind you, let's encourage you. So we rehearsed the gospel together that night. And then the next week we said, okay, I'm going to walk you through on how to share your story in light of the gospel. And I walked them through the creation, fall, redemption, restoration storyline of the, of the gospel narrative. You know, the fall, I'm sorry, the creation, what's your identity in? What do you kind of look into for your significance? Fall, who do you tend to blame or look to as the reason why you're not living the way you ought to or you aren't feeling the right right about who you were made to be? What's your fall story? Redemption, what do you tend to look to to be your savior, your rescuer? 
And then restoration. When you look at the future, what's your ultimate hope? When things are as they ought to be, what will they be like? And then I said, well, remember, what's the gospel? What's the gospel storyline? You guys do it with me. What's our identity in? Creation. Okay, it's in who God is and what he's done for us. And so we've been made in the image of God, and now we are a new creation in Christ. Okay, what's our fall story? What's the real problem of our lives? We believe the gospel. What is the real problem? Self and sin. Okay? We went through that. Okay? Now what's the true story about the Redeemer? Who is our rescuer? Jesus. Okay? How so? We went through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending of his spirit, his eventual return. Great. We got that. And what's the hope? New heaven, new earth. What does that mean? We talked through that. So I said, okay, now this next week, I want each one of you to write your own story with the creation, fall, redemption, restoration storyline through it. Telling us first your false storyline and what you used to believe. And now how Jesus is redeeming your story so you can share your story with a new creation, new fall, new redemption, new restoration storyline. So next week, I had two people share it. They shared it. Because here's what I'm doing. I'm building a gospel foundation. I'm getting them fluent in the gospel. I'm getting it so they all know how to share the gospel regularly through their story and through others. And so two people went through it. After they got done, I said, okay. Um, the first one was her name is Emily, and she shared her story. And there were several points in there. She, had, she was uh, adopted from Korea, and her, her, dad's, her dad and mom got a divorce. And her, her dad left her mom to go be with a man. And so she's got her dad's with another dad. And her mom, you know, abandoned. And she tells this whole storyline of them seeking to find control and things, food and other stuff. And she tells this whole false gospel storyline, what she looked to for her hope and her rescuing. And, and then she tells how Jesus rescued her out of that. And afterwards I said, okay, group, did you listen? Yeah. What was her false creation storyline? What did Emily used to find her identity in? Her dad. What else? Food. What else? And they just went through Okay, what did she blame for her problems? What was her fall storyline? It was being abandoned. It was somebody else's fault. And so they talked about all the ways in which she used to look to something else as the problem instead of her own heart. And then we went, you know, what was her redemption storyline? Well, her dad would have been, would have asked her to forgive him if she he would have turned to Jesus. I mean, all these things were like, if dad gets right, then I'll be better. And so we went, went through the whole thing and I had the whole group tell me, where did you see the false gospel? Okay, now... Where did you hear the true gospel in her story? And they told her story with the gospel at the center. And then we did it with the next guy. And we're doing that every week, two stories every week, rehearsing the gospel storyline, the false storyline, and then speaking it back to each other. Well, I guarantee you after I do that 12 times, 15 times, our people will be really good at listening with gospel ears. They'll also become really good at proclaiming the gospel in people's stories. Okay, that's what we're after. I'm training them. I'm equipping them. I'm getting them rehearsing the gospel regularly with one another. So we're doing that. But then in the middle of that, we're not just doing that, but we said, we're not going to wait like six months or eight months to get you out in the mission field. We're getting you out in, in like a week and a half. It's like we just started getting, okay, here's the gospel. Here's what we're doing. Learn how to listen with gospel ears. Okay, guess what? Next Friday night, our school, which is our mission field, they need a bunch of volunteers to help out with the, the Christmas gift building party. We we have a pretty low-income school, and so a lot of kids can't afford to buy gifts for their parents and siblings. So we create like about 25 gift-making stations. 
that they get to make these really cool gifts. I mean, they're not like cheesy, weird gifts. They're like cool. Like, I want the gifts. They're that good. And, uh, and so the, we said we need a bunch of volunteers. And our whole mission community showed that they all volunteered. So they're all working at a gift station. Now, I have a lot of young singles, young married with no kids, but we have some with kids. And, um, and I, was on, I was traveling, so I didn't get to be at it, but I heard about it. And, uh, and uh, they, it was fun because the, the people got, they reflected back. They said, it was so amazing. You were serving at, at the school. And we built a reputation there by now because we've been working on mission there for years now. And, uh, and they said, people come up to us and go like, so you have kids at the school? And they, of course, they look really young. So they're like, you look really young, you know? You have kids at the school? And they go, no. And, they, and the immediate next question was, so you're from Soma then, aren't you? And it's just we built, we're in the rhythm of caring for that school on a regular basis. To the point at which they, they when they plan out their, their, their yearly auction to raise money for arts education in our school, the first question they ask is, when are the SOMA people going to be available? Because we can't do it without them. It's just that, we're so that, we're that involved. And it's not just one, there's like four mission communities involved in reaching that city together because it just kept growing to re, I mean, reach that school together. So, so they're in the middle of it. Now, they, what do you think I asked them? I, I didn't just say, like, was it fun? Did you have a good time? You know, what, what, what happened? I, I, one of the questions I asked is, did you hear anybody's stories? Did you get to know anybody? Did you, did you see where the gospel is desperately needed at our school? Did you pay attention? We've been training you to listen because you're gospel people, and you listen with gospel ears, and you're always listening for the needs for the gospel to be proclaimed. Did you pay attention to where it needs to be proclaimed? And I'm training them on mission. So the next time they go, some were probably like, gosh, I'm still not doing that. That's okay. Next time we go serve, they'll be like, okay, get to know the story of one person and pay attention to their gospel storyline. What have they been looking to for their identity? What would they blame as the problem of their life? What are they looking to to rescue them from that? And what's their ultimate hope at the end of the, the, the day? Let's listen for that. Because at any one of those points will be a great opportunity to share the gospel. Are you following me? Or is it, I mean, this is pretty high level and low level. I mean, it's both because it's, it's integrated. So you've got to think integrated. Training while they're on mission. That's the key. So establish them in their gospel foundation. I'll just give you a few things that the, their bullet points. Make sure they know the gospel. Make sure they know it and they can articulate it. And I mean, it's past, present, and future realities that we have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. It's about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Spirit, and eventual return. Make sure they're getting that and they can articulate it. Make sure they understand their new identity as gospel people. We're the people God dearly loved as children, family. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, servants. Spirit sent Jesus on mission. Now he sends us as his missionary people. They understand that identity. Uh, Third, realize that, help them to realize that they have been saved for good works. You know, Ephesians 2.10. Not just saved by grace through faith, it's for good works which he prepared in advance for them to do. That's just as much as a grace gift as any. That God would use us to accomplish his work on this earth is a grace gift. Okay? So that, that they understand that God's gospel power, gospel people, gospel purpose. And then, like I said, develop them in the gospel in gospel fluency, that they know how to share it. Let me give you another exercise. This is something that I've done with our residents. You might want to try in a group. If you're, if you're free to do this, take the communion elements, bread and cup, and teach people how to proclaim the gospel to each other through the bread and the cup. 
The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us that as often as you do this, you're proclaiming his death to one another. So I mean, what better opportunity than to practice it through what's really just normal stuff, bread and cup. And that's what we want our people to learn how to do is proclaim the gospel in normal everyday stuff. So what we, we've done is we'll have a, our mission community together or a group of leaders together and I'll, I'll say, okay, one of you share your need. You know, it might be, I'm struggling with fear right now or insecurity in what people think of me or I've screwed up a lot in the last couple of weeks and I just feel ashamed, whatever. Like share your need where you're kind of experiencing help. You need God's help. And then someone else, maybe they're sitting next to you, take the elements and proclaim the gospel to your need. So I remember the first time we did this uh, with Nikki. And uh, she had come to faith at this point. And um, so we were doing, we were taking communion. And, and uh, she, uh, I started, I said, you know, it's January. I'm kind of one of those visionary leaders, which means I don't really look back very often. In fact, my wife's used the, her common picture of me as the back of my head. You know, I just run and run and run forward. And I said, but in January, I looked back. And then I, this particular time, I was discouraged. So I told him, I'm discouraged about the last year of fruit. I just wish there was more people coming to faith, more leaders raised up, more mission communities multiplied, more churches planted. And so I'm really, I'm kind of depressed. And so Randy, I think it was, took the bread and the cup and he said, Jeff, I want to remind you, this is not about your work. Jesus, Jesus' righteousness is for you. His good work, his perfect life, what he did, it's, it's for you. And no matter what you did last year, you're counted righteous by faith in Jesus' life as your substitute. And he said, and it, he poured out his blood, he shed his blood, he died for you to forgive you of you making this all about you. Like, you've made this about you. It's not about you. It's about him. But he's forgiven you for that. Take and eat and drink. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ for you. And I took and I ate and I drank. And, and Nikki, she got up. She goes, she's like 73, I think, at this point. But I just look at all you young kids and I think, like, I wasted my life. And I, feel I have so much regret. I'm like, you guys, you guys get this. You're so young. You're getting it. It's amazing. And all these years, I didn't live for Jesus. I lived for myself. And, and I just look at you and I think, wow, man, don't waste this. And I'm kind of going like, so your need is. <laughs> of course, everyone knows what her need is, right? So someone took the bread and said, Nikki, the good news is Christ is the redeemer. And he can, with his life, redeem your life. There's no wasted years. Every one of them points out to your need for Jesus and every one of them gets met in Jesus' perfect life and death for you. And this blood has been shed so you need, no longer need to have any regrets. All of it's been forgiven. You don't have to look back and think, what if, and I should have. Jesus forgave it all. It's cleansed. It's forgiven. There's no guilt. There's no shame. You're free. Take, eat, and drink. And then the next person's here. And you can imagine one after another after another sharing their need and someone proclaiming the gospel to their need. I'd encourage you to start doing that if, you, if your church allows for you to break bread and, and take the cup together like that. If not, still do it in other ways, you know. Just say, hey, what's our need for Jesus? And let me tell you about what Jesus is for you today. Like take a time. It can be a, it's a beautiful piece in time of worship where you celebrate the grace of God in Christ for you. Now, I think it's why we're supposed to take communion regularly. Because I think it's the constant reminder that we are in need and the constant reminder that he's sufficient to meet it. 
And I think if we got good at saying that to one another regularly, you know, you'll get really proficient being able to share the gospel with unbelievers. But I'm convinced most of us can't share the gospel with unbelievers because we never share it to believers. You know, it's, we hardly ever talk about Jesus to one another. It's crazy. Like, that's all we got. And we just, well, why are we not talking about him? We had a uh, young lady who stayed with us for a summer internship. At the end of the summer, we kind of did a debrief and said, so what would you think? And what was good? What was bad? You know, what would you like? And what was different? And one, one of our leaders said, what was different than what you expected? And she said, it's going to sound really weird. In fact, even saying it feels indicting. She said, self-indicting. She said, um, you guys talk about Jesus like all the time. But that was weird. Like the church I come from, I mean, you talk about Jesus like on that like evangelism Sunday. But otherwise, we didn't talk about Jesus that much. Like you talk about him all the time. Every day. All day. Like it's what you all talk about all the time. And she's like, I started to think like something wrong with you at first. And then she said, I realized, no, there's something wrong with me. Why don't I love Jesus? Why don't I talk about Jesus? And here's something I become more and more convinced about. And it's partly coming out of my own, even my own relationship with my wife. I love my wife the more that I talk about how great she is. And the more that I affirm her and bless her and speak into her life, like, babe, you're beautiful. And we were having this conversation this one day and she was really depressed and discouraged with our relationship. This is like only a few months ago. Like I've been married 21 years. It's just, just so you know, like still hard. <laughs> and, uh, and we were, and my wife's amazing. And, but we were having this conversation. She's like, I just feel, you know, I just feel like you're not close. You know, and just like I just don't feel intimate. Like we were, I know she said, I don't mean sex. I mean like, like we. I don't know what's wrong, man. I just, gee, what's wrong with us? I said, that's weird, babe. I've been telling everybody like this has been the best year of our entire marriage. <laughs> and I and I went on and said. When I said, you like, I feel closer to my wife than ever before. She's just beautiful. I, 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 I didn't even have temptation for to look at another woman. She's like, I'm just in awe. She goes, tell me, tell me. I said, what do you mean? She goes, don't tell them. Tell me. And I go, I, look, I go oh, okay. And I go, you're beautiful. Like, I don't have any eyes for anyone else. I just, you're amazing. I would rather be with anybody than you. Every day I get that I have free time. It's, I want to be with you. And I just started praising her and telling her how much I love her and how beautiful she is to me. She's my best friend and my closest companion. And if I could choose to be anywhere with anyone, it would be with her anywhere. And I just started telling her all these things. She's like, she's just crying. She's like, that's what I need. That's what I need. And see, I wonder, I was thinking when that happened, I thought, are we doing that with Jesus? Are we telling him how great he is and how much we love him and how we'd rather not be with anyone else but Jesus? And are we having those times of intimacy with him where we just tell him he's beautiful and lovely and majestic and amazing and faithful? And, I mean, it, you can't run out of descriptive words. We need 10,000 words, right? I think that's why we like singing that song because we know it's true, but we don't do it. Now let's take that. If you did that, you would talk about him like that because you talk about what you love most. Talk to anybody who has got on a paleo diet. Right? And it's like, I mean, it constantly, it's like, 
It's amazing, you know, the food. It, you, everyone says it's not good, but it's good. I mean, it's like you learn how to make food in new ways, and it take, the flavors come out. Like you, you don't know good food until you've done this, because you, you know, your palate's been ruined by all the other stuff. And, and your energy goes up. You know, you, and we just keep going. Have you ever heard someone talk about paleo? Like, you lose weight, you have energy, you, know, you can sleep better, and sex is great, and, you know, everybody loves you now. You know, like, it's just, like, <laughs> like, it's like amazing. Like, it's the new salvation message. And, and I've never met anybody who doesn't have a about the new diet or the box that they're involved in with CrossFit or whatever else it may be that they love. I mean, they, they, they're like, they're evangelists about it. Why? Because it's important to them, because it's affected them, because their affections have been captured by it. Why in the world is that not true for Jesus? You talk about what you love most. You talk about what you believe changes you the most. You talk about what you think is the most powerful thing in your life. That's Jesus Christ. But we don't talk to each other about it. So why would we expect to talk to people who are against it? See, I get it. I understand why it's hard to talk to unbelievers about Jesus. There's a spiritual war, and the enemy wants to tell you, don't do it. And so if you aren't rehearsing with people where it's safe, the church should be the one place where we can keep going, isn't Jesus amazing? And the whole church goes, amen. And we're just, we go, more, give me more. And we should be like little kids, like, you know, like Mufasa, remember the Lion King? Like, Mufasa, ooh. You know, like, that's... That's how we should be with, with the church. Like, Jesus, oh, yeah! Right? Lord, do it again, do it again! Jesus, oh, yeah! Jesus is amazing, he is! You know, like, we should be, like, just so excited. But what do we, we're like, yeah, Jesus, you know, whatever, he died on cross. You know, and that's what happens, right? It's like, it's, and I, even I bet you, while I was teaching earlier about Jesus, you're going like, yeah, yeah, come on, get us something like I, I don't know. And we do that. And you're like, really? You, you know, are you not amazed? That the God of the universe treated enemies like you and I, like children, and loved us like his own son at the cost of his own son's life? I mean, that's amazing. It's incredible. If we talk to each other about it, we'll talk to the world about it. So create a culture in your missional community where Jesus is talked about all the time, where you celebrate his goodness, where you break bread and remind yourself of why he's so great. Like worship him together so that you can go out and tell the world. Okay, but don't just let it end there. Equip each other so that they might know how to go out and talk. So make him the center. Become gospel fluent. Okay? Now, um, time-wise, see, we're doing okay? You guys doing okay? We've got a few minutes. We're gonna take a, we'll take a break. Okay? We've got about 10, all right, about 15 minutes. Is that good? Can you make it that far? 13 minutes? Okay. About 13 minutes. So establish them in the gospel. Teach them how to share the gospel. Regularly rehearse the gospel. Create a gospel-fluent culture. Um, if you want a lot more training on gospel fluency, we've got like a five and a half hours of video that you can watch that I did at Austin Stone Community. Um, you can find it on our wearesoma.com site. Um, thanks to Austin Stone, they captured it. High-def video. It's a lot, five and a half hours. Um, but I, I'm convinced that we need to grow a lot in learning how to share the gospel in everyday life, and hopefully that's a tool that can serve you. I don't have the time to do that today, but hopefully you're even getting a taste for it, like you're hearing it bleed through, I hope. So, so develop that together. Um, and I would just say this. If the people of God don't know the gospel well, you're not going to be very effective on mission. Like, you just, I don't know what you got. So make that a high priority, a very high priority. And it's so high that you, would, you wouldn't just do it, but you'd go like, okay, now would you share the gospel now? 
would you share the gospel now? Like, I'm learning, like, more and more to go, okay, tell me about why the resurrection is absolutely necessary for us. And I've done this with pastors. And they're like, because um, Jesus is alive. Oh, there's more. Come on, keep going. That's true. What else? And it's, it's amazing. We don't know. And we haven't articulated it. And so I'll say, no, wait a minute. What does the resurrection tell us? Well, he's alive. What else? What is resurrection again? It's a new body. That's right. For what? For a new earth. Okay, great. So if there's a new body for a new earth, and Jesus is the first fruit of the new creation, but he's alive right now in us by his spirit, what does that mean? And they'll go, I don't know. Yes, then we'll, okay, let's try it again. What does it mean? Why is it so important that we get this? Because now by his spirit, the new creation is breaking into the old one. So we can be a a foretaste of the future. Okay, so what does that do for how we live? And then they start remembering. And that would mean like we, have, we actually have power that no one else has. Power of the resurrection. We can live a different life. We can put to death the flesh. We can be bright, shining lights in the dark sky. Like all of a sudden, okay, that's great, awesome. Okay, now, why, why the cross? What happened at the cross? And they go through, you know, it's like, okay, justification. We're now made right with God, okay? Expiation, our sin has been removed, good. And, okay, propitiation, the wrath of God has been satisfied. Good, keep going. Okay, we've been adopted, right? We're loved like dearly loved children. Great, what else? We, 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 you know, we're coerced with Christ. Beautiful, what does that mean? Like, and so you start walking through it, you rehearse it, and you make sure your group can explain all the beautiful aspects of our salvation and all that is true for us in Christ because there's lots of different aspects of that that somebody's gonna need at some point in their life. You know, it's like my, they might go, no one loves me. Oh, let me tell you about the love of God. Well, I just feel like I'm just discarded, I'm broken, I'm, I'm damaged goods. Let me tell you about the healing power of the Spirit. And see, so you start to give them the aspects of the truths of the gospel they can have. And then the gospel is good news, see? For many of us, the gospel is, is just, when you die, you're not going to hell. And that's why we don't know how to apply it to any bit of life. Because you're like, it has nothing to do with life. It only has to do with afterlife. So what do I have? I guess five principles for how to have a successful career and three principles for how to have a good marriage. And none of them have to do with Jesus. And so what you do is you do this. You go, I want to grow you up into Christ, into maturity. And what do you do? You give them everything but Christ. But Paul says in Ephesians 4, the way you grow people up into Christ is by speaking the truth in love. And the truth is Christ. So you've got to speak Jesus to every issue of life to grow them up into Christ. So it's like, you don't go like, hey, you know, let me tell you about, about sex before marriage. You should just wait till you, till you get married to have sex. And they go, why? Oh, I don't know. The Bible says so. What else? Well, you'll, you'll have better sex if you wait. Lie. <laughs> it's a lie. Like, no sex does not equal better sex. Let's just be clear about that, okay? Like, like when I meet with a couple before they get married, and it's like, like the week or two out, I go, okay, let's talk about your wedding night. Let's, let's be clear. It'll be the worst sex of your life. Okay, so like, let's just low the bar, lower the bar of expectation because sex only gets better by doing more, right? And second, if I tell someone, wait until you're married to have sex so you'll have better sex, I've just given the recipe for disaster because they're going, it's all about me having better sex, so you better make sure it's good for me, babe. And that's the death of, of intimate life. Using your spouse to make you feel better? It's, it's destroying the very nature of what God intends it to be. So why not go, hey, well, what, what does the gospel say about sex? What does it say? Well, here's the beauty. Jesus, even before the creation of the world, had his mind set on a bride. 
and for thousands of years looked forward to the day when he would get her. And then he comes, and for 30 years, he just lives a life to be a man who is worthy of getting the bride. But he never talks about it, never gets any attention, never gets noticed. I mean, how many of our young men need to hear, just be faithful to what God's called you to do and stop making this all about you for a while? Jesus, for 30 years, does that. And then for three years, he just serves. And then he purchases a bride with the price of his own life, and he pays the bride price, which is him dying on a cross. And it's not just to buy her, but it's also to purify her. And he's making her a beautiful, holy bride. And now we've got Jesus waiting over 2,000 years. He still hasn't consummated his marriage. One day he's looking for that wedding. And he's been faithful to her all along and never given himself to any other. And she has rejected him over and over and over again. And he doesn't give up on her. And he gave his life to forgive her and cleanse her and purify her. And she's being made beautiful, but she's not done. She's still being purified at the cost of his life. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. You think you waited a long time? Now here's the beauty. Our sex life is telling that story. We've been given sex to tell the story of God who is willing to wait for his pride and save himself for her and show what intimacy truly looks like. And it's not selfish. It's other-focused. And it's willing to give up its life for the other that's our, marriage is telling that story. It's not about us. It's telling the story of Jesus. That's what the whole point of marriage has always been. It's God's means by which the world might come to know his love as a husband for his bride. Now, men, keep that in mind. Women, keep that in mind. As you are longing to tell the story of Jesus, the great faithful one in your sex life. That's a whole lot more compelling. And you know what? When you blow it, he's the one who gives you grace and forgives you and cleanses you and makes you beautiful and pure again. So even if you've blown it, get back in this and say, Jesus, I want to honor and glorify you because of what you've done, even in my sin, to purify me. That's, that's a better story. That's what we need to tell people about sexuality. Not just like it'll get better if you don't do it. That, 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 don't give them that. That's just worldly wisdom. Give them the gospel. Give them Jesus. And we can do that with everything. And we should do it with everything. Okay? So make that normal. I know that that's going to take time and rehearsing and over and over again, practicing it. Now as you do that, forming them in gospel fluency, leading them out in everyday mission, helping them practice it in the community, and you've identified a mission, begin to actively reorient your life around that mission together. Now, here's what I've found. Um, a lot of times, people will say, well... Are you saying like the rest of our life, so you got a person here, the rest of our life doesn't really count? Like I thought we were on mission all the time and I go to work and I've got these friends and, and so what, what often happens is we say we can't identify a common mission because we all have our individual missions. So then we just go like most groups are, let's get together and talk about our individual missions, let's pray for each other and then say good luck, you know, go out there and do your best and come back and tell us how, how it went. And that's really, really almost impossible, just so it's clear. Um, so they often go like, well, how do I do this if I got this? And what I encourage people to do is identify what we call a proactive mission that you can call everybody into. And the beauty is, let's say you have coworkers and other people, eventually you can call them into this too. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, like we could easily call a bunch of our friends to serve at our local elementary school alongside of us and see a group of people loving kids of whom they would never have no reason to love other than the gospel. 
Because a bunch of single people shouldn't be hanging out in middle and elementary school loving kids, right? In fact, that might be bad if there's not right motives in it, okay? But they do it because they love Jesus. And all of a sudden, their coworkers go, I don't get it. Why would you do this? You could be out having fun on a Friday night with all your friends at the bar. Why are you at an elementary school? Well, let me tell you. I have one who gave up his life for mine. Jesus could have stayed in heaven. Instead, he came to earth. There's no reason for him to come other than the love of God. And he did. And I'm going to tell you about why he did that. And you get to have the opportunity to share the gospel to somebody. Because your life shouldn't make any sense. So this is the thing that I tell people often in our church. Is live your life in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation. If people could look at your life and go like, well, of course you do that. I mean, why wouldn't you? you know, like you're a nice person. That, that's not going to be enough. It's like, no, no, I'm not a nice person. I tell you what I like apart from Jesus. Um, you know, there, there should be diff- something different about us as, as people. And the way they'll see it is that there's something that we're willing to devote ourselves to that we probably wouldn't have apart from Jesus. Make sense? Now, as you call them to reorient their lives around this, that's going to look like a lot of different things. And, and this last session, if we take a break, I'm going to kind of work through what, what a rhythm might look like of doing it. But let me give you a couple hints at it. Once you identify this people group, you're going to have to figure out what are the seasons of that people group. What are the rhythms and seasons? So seasons is like, like if you're in the Northwest, you've got about two and a half months of sunshine, if it's a good year, you know? So everybody else goes back into their caves, you know, after that. So if you're going to reach out and get to know a lot of unbelievers, you're going to have a very small window in which they're all willing to go outside and hang and throw parties. And So we use like July, August, and part of September to do like cookouts and outside parties and we almost, at least my mission community, almost does zero Bible studies formally as a group. Hopefully we're in the Word on a daily basis, but formally as a group during that season. Because what we're doing during that season is saying, let's have cookouts and s'mores and late night hangouts with all the neighbors and all the kids and all the families around fire for, you know, for several months in a row because we're getting to know them, building a relationship, getting to know their story, so that by the time everybody goes back into their caves, they come into our cave with us. You know, and they're willing to hang with us and have dinner and talk about Jesus. So there's a rhythm that's seasonal. Now, our missional communities that are reaching college campuses, what do you think their missional season is? Is it the summer? No. When do you think it is? Fall, yeah. Especially the fall. They're more engaged in meeting new people, helping to get to know kids as they're moving into their dorms. The summer is probably much more leadership development and getting them ready for the next season. Okay, so they're seasonal. Our artists... Let's think about them, and let's think more weekly. When do you think artists are doing most of their time with other people that are not Christians? Weekends, and very late. Sometimes up to 2 in the morning, you know, at a bar or club, hanging out with them. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to do that very well, because um, i got little kids, and I can't be bringing them into that context, and I want my family involved in mission with me. But we have a lot of others who have that ability, or people like you and your husband, who are like, you know, you guys have a weird life. I know. It's very weird. Partly because he's weird, but I love Trevor. Uh, But you'll think differently about the rhythms of your life when you think differently about, when you realize who you're called to reach. Does that make sense? So making sure you talk about that's really important because otherwise all you'll do is do a weekly meeting with Christians talking about the people you're trying to reach. And you won't reorder your life to actually reach them. So you've got to think about how your life would change to reach them. The rhythms weekly, which we'll talk about later, and the seasons, year, a yearly thinking kind of process. Um, and then we encourage people building what's called a, a missional community covenant. It's like identify the people, 
and then say, what are we going to do to reach them? And we'll use just the identity statements. We'll say, if we were to be good family, what would we do? And what we've done is I've actually taken times where I'll say, okay, everybody get like a notepad or whatever, and we're going to take a few minutes. I'll teach on what it means to be the family of God, to love one another as brothers and sisters. And now I want you to write down everything you think a good family that reflects God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, uh, to our world. What would we do? And they all write down their ideas, and I got some inscribing, and I said, okay, now let's talk about, in this context, what do you think we as a family would do? And they'll be like, well, yeah, it's amazing. Here's the deal, I'll just tell you, the church has a better mind than you think they do. Like, a lot of us are like, I don't know, they wouldn't know what to do, I can't trust them. They're like, you're wrong, I'm just telling you, you're wrong. They're, they're going to be better at this than you realize if you give them the freedom and the ability to do it. Like you say, I believe you can do it, we're going to give you the freedom to do it. So I'll get people come up with like, well, I think we would eat together regularly, we would vacation together. We would probably uh, provide babysitting for one another. We'd probably, I mean, they just keep going and going. And we know each other's birthdays and anniversaries, and, and we would celebrate them. We'd make sure that no one has any needs that are not being met. So we would actually share what our common needs are to everybody, and then we'd ask everybody to share their common uh, gifts and say, those are meant to care for the needs, so let's make sure no one has a need that's not being unmet. And, and I mean, it's amazing what they come up with. We'll do that with family. We'll do that with servant. What would it look like to show the kingdom of God to our school? Tangible expression of it. I don't know, maybe it's helping with their community garden or doing after-school tutoring or helping to raise funds for arts. And also, it's amazing what they've come up with. And then how are we going to get into a rhythm of regularly sharing the gospel to those people? And then we walk the out. The beauty is they're going like, I don't know how. So we'll work through what would that look like. And here's the thing I'll give to you, and then we'll take a break. Um, that's just something I've done this last time. I, uh, I realized that I didn't really often know how actually equip, well-equipped our, all of our people were in being disciple-makers. So I de- developed this personal assessment that they all do, um, going through all the basics that they would have to do to be a disciple-maker. So like, I read through the Bible. I understand how the Bible's put together. I could teach someone else how the Bible's put together and how to read it. I have taught others how to read the Bible. Spirit. I understand what the Spirit is and could explain it. I walk by the Spirit on a daily basis, weekly basis, periodically, once in a while. I, have, I can teach someone else what the Spirit is and how to walk in the Spirit. I have taught someone how to walk in the Spirit. Okay, Gospel. I understand what the Gospel is, and here's what it is. I, I live regularly rehearsing the Gospel to myself. I regularly share the Gospel with unbelievers. I share the Gospel regularly with unbelievers. You know, and just have, I did it with every single aspect, and they all filled it out, and I sat back and went, this is where our group's really at. Now I know how to build a discipleship missional training plan for a year so that they all get better equipped in all those areas that they need to grow in. You'd be surprised, by the way, do that with your church, and you might be quite surprised that you think they're all really, really equipped and that you may find that they're not. Now, maybe they're really equipped, but actually do an assessment of your people. And what I told our people, I said, we're not just committed to making disciples, we're committed to being disciples who make disciples. So I want to make sure you are well-equipped so that you could go to any part of the world in a year or two and continue to do this work without me being with you. So that's the journey we're on, family. Let's get ready for it. So let that even be a part of your covenant. I put that in. We're building that into our missional. You might be uncomfortable using the language of covenant. Call it an agreement. Call it a uh, missionary strategy, whatever. But I would encourage you to really methodically work through it. Like have a real plan. A lot of times what we do is we go, we're going to do it. And you're a year later and you're like, all we've been doing is meeting once a week and nothing got done. And that's, the, that's going to be the tendency, by the way, okay? All right, we need to take a break. 
And then, is that right? Am I on schedule? Okay. Uh, four o'clock back here will be our last session. Okay. So go get what you need. Use the bathroom. Get a drink. We'll be back.